Hey, what's going on, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Change What We Normalize podcast. Look, if you're listening to this right now, make sure that you share it, send it to a friend, send it to somebody you love. To all of my loyal supporters, I truly, truly appreciate you for tapping in Um, and really rocking with me on season two. Season two has been incredible, man, just having the opportunity to have these guests. We've had some incredibly powerful people, and today's guest is no different. I'll be honest. Um, this is a little selfish of me because I, I did season two with the guests um, so I can actually just listen and learn. <laughs> I'm be honest, because the first season I did 30 episodes by myself. I was knocking them out and I could have kept going, but I really wanted to gather other people on here so I can just listen and learn. So selfishly, you know, I, I did season two with guests just so I can do that. So I'm really excited about this next guest, man. Um, he's a brother of mine. He's incredible. Uh, he's a counselor, researcher, uh, parent coach, motivational speaker. Um, I met him a little bit ago, and we we just bonded quickly, man. He's doing incredible things over on the West Coast. So coming up next on the Change What We Normalize podcast is my brother, my guy, DJ Johnson. What's going on, bro? How you doing? I'm great, man. Uh, first and foremost, I am excited to be on your podcast. You know, when people have podcasts and you're a fan of their podcast and you're close to them, <laughs> right, but you're right. like, you know, I ain't gonna be like, yo, can I get on the podcast? So when you finally <laughs> reached out to me, I was like, okay, let's go. We in there. <laughs> nah, man. Nah, I was, I was, I really wanted you on a while ago, and I'm just trying to plan it strategically. I'm like, yo, I got to get him on at this time. And I'm, uh, you know, we had our schedules weren't aligned in that first. And then I had some issues with my stuff. And I'm just glad that we're able to make it happen, man. This is something that's been in the works for uh, quite some time, man. So I'm excited yeah. uh, for my audience to really just hear you out, hear your story, um, and gain some insight from you, man. Because from the short time that we've known each other, you've blessed me, you know. Um, with your wisdom, but then also just as a brother, right? You know what I'm yep. saying? We haven't even literally met in person, but it's like, as a brother, <laughs> you've blessed me in a sense where you'll just call, like, yo, you good? Like, and we yeah. have those conversations. And I think that that is extremely powerful, man. So for the people who don't know DJ Johnson, hold on. First, DeAntoine, that's actually your first name. That's my government name, yes. Does anybody uh, call you DeAntoine? That's so funny. I Um... <laughs> Even my wife, I don't even think calls me Antoine. <laughs> I'm, I'm. There's a few I could count on one hand. I think the the people who actually call me Antoine. But if, for those really? out there, my name is Antoine Dytrell Johnson. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> wow. So I, I, yeah, DJ. That's what, that's why I go by. DJ. Right, right, right. Let's rock with DJ. Let's rock with DJ. But no, that's funny because you know. <clears throat> Nobody really calls me Nathan. I think there's mm -hmm. two people. I think my aunt is one of my aunts. And from time to time, my mom will say Nathan. Mm -hmm. You know, and that might be if she's like upset or something, but she'll say Nathan. Yeah. But outside <laughs> of that, everybody just called me Nate. 
So I, I roll with Nate like it's on everything. And um, some people call me Nathaniel. I'm like, yeah, that's not my name. That's yeah. not on my birth certificate, man. <laughs> it's, oh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was short foot. No, 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 no. no. It's yeah. just Nathan. That, that's it. That's yeah. it. But um, yeah, man. Let's jump into this. So for the mm-hmm. people who don't know, you know, DJ Johnson and the amazing things that you're doing, I want to give a little backstory about that. Um, because something that I love, something that I truly believe, and I say this everywhere I go, every single episode is that. Your story is about you, but it's not for you. Mm-hmm. So I love to just go deep dive right into your story, right into your background as we build up and really learn more about you and what you're doing with parents, which is incredible. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. So I grew up in Indiana and, you know, I had a childhood that in a moment seemed normal, right? Change what you normalize. Like mm. what was normal for me in my home was a mother who was subjected to an abusive husband, which ended up, which who was my stepdad. Um, And that kind of spiraled into, you know, a situation where, you know, my brother, when I was in the third grade, um, was playing around upstairs with a lighter, I believe it was. And Mm. fast forward, ended up burning our apartment down. And that, yeah, that moment, (laughs) <laughs> changed the course of my life that summer actually so he he ended up doing that in the beginning of the summer in the third grade and that summer we we immediately went into like you know i think the american red cost put us up in a hotel for like a week or so um and then it turned out we weren't going to be able to go back to our apartment so we ended up staying in a motel for like another month or so in the t- mm. next town over and so, yeah, we legit that summer was home, went from being homeless to my stepdad, you know, going to jail when, the, you know, he would go to jail often throughout my childhood. And so that particular time he went to jail. And so my mom was trying to figure it out, fend for herself and finally was able to kind of get on her feet and find like a two bedroom house to rent. Um, but while she was, you know, trying to make ends meet, how she was making ends meet was by stripping and exotic dancing Mm. and so by her doing what she had to do to try to take care of us it was me and my four other siblings five total she got into some activities that caused her to get into drugs and do you know different things that ultimately you know i think within the next month it must have been like four or five months um she ended up coming to me one night and just letting me know that she wasn't going to be able to take care of us anymore and that we were going to have to stay with, um, at the time it was my grandmother. And, you know, I, I didn't, in the moment, I didn't realize the magnitude of that conversation, you know, in that moment, I always thought that she was going to, you know, get herself together and get us back. Um, but after that conversation, we did end up going to stay with my grandmother, which ultimately was us going into the foster care system. And she, never had an opportunity to get us back. You know, we would go to court. We would have all these different, I would call it double Dutch. Like one moment she might get us, the next moment she might not. You know, we just kept going back and forth with her, with the courts and everything. Um, But the reality is I ended up being in the foster care system until I aged out at 18. And so that, you know, using that story, I think for for a, a long portion of my life, I didn't feel the need to share that type of information with people. I didn't feel like my story was for anybody but myself. And there were some things that happened to me in my early 20s that really kind of smacked me in the face and helped me realize that my story is not really for me. And I think with all the trauma 
what was crazy, you know, you hear people say, oh, you're in a you were in a foster care system. They feel like it's a bad thing. And for the most part, it might be uh, for. But for me, my life was so traumatic <laughs> before I got into foster care um, that foster care essentially ended up changing the course of my life. What seemed like for the better. And so, yeah, as I got older and not necessarily not going into therapy or anything until within the last three years or so, um, I did a lot of well, I healed in some ways, but for the most part, I stuffed and I didn't share and I didn't allow myself to be open and I suffered silently. My relationships weren't as good as they could have been. Um, I, you know, was always stiff farming or Heisman, <laughs> my uh, family members, because, you know, y'all, you know, I would blame them for a lot of the things that happened to me in my childhood, or I would blame them for a lot of the things that I was struggling with as an adult. Um, and I finally had a moment, you know, I, I was my freshman year in college. I was out in California. I moved my senior year, right before my senior year, I moved to California with my auntie out here. And, you know, I graduated from high school and I was in college freshman year, driving my own car, had my own job. And so at that point, I really felt like, no, I don't need no family. I don't need nobody like on me, telling me what to do, trying to boss me around all this stuff. Right. So me and my auntie got into it, you know, black aunties, they don't play. <laughs> right. Right. And so we, we got into it and um, man, I was so high headed that I was like, all right, I'm gonna leave your house. Then I'm out. I'm gonna find somewhere to live. And my solution was to move with my best friend who lived in Florida at the time. And I was going to go all the, all the way across. So I was at least smart enough to finish my semester. So I did that. And then I booked a one-way flight to Florida and went and stayed with my homie for, you know, for a couple of months. And then while I was there, even though my situation changed, my attitude didn't. And my attitude towards people telling me what to do, or basically what I deemed it as is having this lack of control over my life for so many years. And so I was so out of control of my life for so many years in my childhood that when I became an adult and I could be in control of it, I was overcompensating. <laughs> and so when mm. I got to, when I got to Florida, you know, I got into a, my auntie over a control issue. And then when I got to Florida, you know, I was living with my my homeboy and his cousin and we had our own place there and I had two jobs and I was I was doing the dang thing. At least I thought I was. But his dad would come over and would like invade our privacy and, and yell at us and curse. And he, you know, he would drink. And that was a big trigger for me. And so one day he came through super upset at me, frustrated. I, or I just called him out. I was like, yo, why are you always coming over here? Like, we grown. Like, you don't have to be honest like this. Like, I was just talking to him in that way. And he was drunk and he wasn't trying to hear it. He thought I was talking back to him or whatever it might be. And he got so mad, he picked up the thing that was next to him, which was a steel chair, and threw it in my direction. Wow. Hit, hit me in my head. Wow. And I was like, when I tell you I was mad, Nate, like, <laughs> Thumb, <yo>. I was, <laughs> Like horns, red, upset, right? And I remember in that moment, Nate, thinking like, all right, you got two options. You can knock him out, right? But the thing about that is, is he is so drunk and you're so mad right now that you might end up in jail. I see, you might kill him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why I was literally processing in my head. And so then while I'm having that process, he's like, okay, let's say you follow through with that. What family member do you have here? 
because you mm. alienated yourself from your family. You moved all the way across the country. You moved to a city where you have no family members here. Who's going to come let you out of jail? Your friend now, you just hurt his dad if it came down to it, right? You just killed his dad if it came down to it. Mm. You you live with his cousin. Like, they go, you know what I mean? Like, all these things is like processing in my head. And the other thing was like, you could just walk out and, and call somebody that you care about the most. And thankfully, the, the angel on my shoulder <laughs> convinced me to walk out. And, and I was, I was hot. I was so mad. I, I was so mad. I called my grandma. So my, cause my grandma made me promise my great grandma. She, you know, was in Cal- California and she was mad that I came to Florida. She was like, I don't know why you did that. But she was like, you make sure you call me every week. Right. And so I call her and I just talked to her and you know, I was mad cause I was cursing at my grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Not at her, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on you the phone, you. you know, yeah, so you know, I was hot. and she knew she it. Right. <laughs> and she called me, you know, she called me down and she was like, baby, stop running. Mm. And I was like, Oh, like maybe I was a little too mad in a moment to really understand. But like, now I'm reflecting back and I'm like, she said, you keep running from your issues and your problems and you haven't faced them head on, like just, just stop running. Mm. Because no matter where you go, no matter where you go, it's going to follow you no matter where, like you Mm got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so after that conversation with my grandma, I literally went into like, all right, I'm over this. Let me do what I need to do. I need to get back to California so I can recalibrate and reset. (laughs) Literally, I would say two weeks after that, I was gone, moved back to Cali. Um, I couldn't go back to the college that I had started at, but I ended up going to a JC, Long Beach City College. My uh, The coach was actually recruiting me out of high school because I ran track. And he heard that I was back and called me and said, hey, come run for me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And that experience, in the moment, I didn't realize how impactful it was. But that experience helped me come back and just really look at myself and say, OK, yes, you had a traumatic life, DJ. Yes, um, your life was so traumatic that you know, there's a study called the adverse childhood experience. And they say that Mm -hmm. if you have a six or higher on that, yep, the A score, if if you have a six or higher on that A score, your lifespan could potentially be shortened by 20 years. And somehow, some way your life was so traumatic that you got a a score of 10 on there. Mm. But, but, but what are you going to do about how do you move forward? Mm. Uh, What responsibility are you going to take in your own healing from that trauma? from those things that you felt like was up against you. And I just asked myself those hard, tough questions. Um, and I got into like expressing myself through poetry and going to open mics and hosting open mics at one point. And it just really allowed me to get to a space where I can one, hone my voice and and be able to share all these different things that I was holding in for so many years. And I, I believe going through that open mics process and the poetry and all that really led to me becoming the speaker and working with the students at the level that I get to. So that mm. is like a short, short version of my life. But hopefully I painted the picture of who no, I am. No, you today. definitely, you <laughs> definitely painted the picture, bro. And I, yeah. I knew it was a reason why we connected in the way, because the same way you said you started going to the open mics, like you found this outlet in art. Yeah. I'm the yeah. same exact way, bro. So I have like poetry everywhere. Uh-huh. And I have a special place in my heart for like, you know, poetry slams, open yep. mics, spoken Absolutely. word places. Like I have a special place in my heart. So I love going to them all the time. Yep. 
Um, and it's just a powerful way to express yourself. Like in my very first book, um, it's funny because I was just signing books today to drop off at a local high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my book, Building Muscle, Life is Your Trainer, I actually have a poem in the book that speaks about um, suicide. Mm-hmm. When I was going through like a really dark time, I had wrote a poem yeah. during that time that really helped me to release the pain and things that I was going through. And I put that in the book. So as you were talking about that, I'm like, man, that's wow. I didn't realize that, you know, about your story because mine's is similar in that aspect. And I believe, like you said, that's what almost led you to the realm of like speaking and sharing your message and the power of words and your story, Um, which is incredible, man, for you to have, you know, gone through all of that, but end up where you are. It makes you so powerful and relevant in the space, you know, that you're in. Yeah. Um, which is which is extremely powerful, man. And I want first, I want to commend you where what you're doing now because the work that you're doing is incredible and it's such it's so needed, especially with the parents. So I'm here in Jersey, mm-hmm. you're over there, but I'm sure the parent situations are very similar, um, where our parents aren't showing up for the kids yeah. in a sense. So I remember going to one school out here talking to the principals, and he's like, "Yeah, we didn't have one, you know, one parent show up to the to the PTA meetings." And I'm just like, wait, what? Like one out of the entire school, like four <laughs> grade levels? He's like, no, we didn't yeah. have one. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? Um, but you've decided to target the parents specifically. Why? I was, my year, so I started working with, I've been working with students since 2009. I, I started at the after school uh, program with like elementary age students, so fourth and fifth mostly. And kind of transitioned and morphed into working with college students in 2013, I believe I started that. And then in 2014, I started working with high school students. And that really was the the shift for me because, mm. you know, I was working with these high school students and a lot of times I would have some awesome breakthroughs. And then a lot of times you would have a breakthrough with a student and then they go back to the home and be subjected to the same things that had to had them, you know, require a breakthrough in the first place. Let's just say that. Mm. And so, um, you know, the more I start working with these students, the more I was like, it was almost like I was doing work and banging my head against the wall because I would speak life into these students and and give them choices and 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 let them know how much you know control they have over where their life can go. And then they would go home and you know, I've had female students say that their mothers call them the B word. I've had you know wow. dad, you know, students, multiple boys or male students, I should say, tell me, you know, my dad is present, but he's not present, you know, like, and so mm. it was, it was consistent messages like that. And I was just like, yo, like I, I enjoy working with students. And I still ask myself this question is, do I enjoy working with students more? Do I enjoy working with parents more? But the reality is I ultimately felt obligated to work with parents on the basis of originally I didn't have a son, but it was on the basis of, look, I work with your teen students. These, the, the, what I'm telling you is strictly what I've calibrated and got from them all these years talking to them. Like these are the things that are going to help you reach them because you guys are most likely parents have adopted a, a old school method is what I talk about. And it, it, it the old school method is built on control and coercion and all these different things. Yep. And the yep. reality is if you want healthy, successful kids, you got to release that control and you got to not be in a space where you want to control your kid as opposed to help them gain that self-control for themselves. So for me, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, just like being in a space where I was working with these students, I've like just felt obligated to say, all right, let me have conversations with these parents as much as I can so I can help them realize the error of their ways and help them at least with what I've learned working with the students myself and just having these conversations with them. Let me at least help them better communicate and be in a position to really move their kid in a direction that they ultimately want to go. And, and a lot of it with these parents is that mindset. Yeah, um, and for sure. as you were, as you were talking, I, I thought about, cause even though I do these parenting groups and I, you know, contract and have these work, I'm preparing a workshop that I'm doing Thursday virtually uh, for, for the school that I work with, even though I'm doing it, like a lot of times we got like four, five, you know, six parents that might, you know, show up to these things in a school where you got 2000 kids. And so, but the discipline office is, you know, going crazy and there's a lot of students in and out of there and, and you just wonder, like, and you know, parents are frustrated. You know, they're like, how oh, can I get my kids to do this and do that? And it's just like, it's like, yo, like there's resources available to help you. And and I, I often beat my head against the wall on that fact of like, yo, y'all not even showing up. But it's hard for you to show up for your kid when you don't consistently show up for yourself as a parent. And I think a lot of parents mm, don't acknowledge <laughs> or realize Jeez. that. Or don't even want to come to the realization that they need to, and so that that speaks to what what we're seeing across the country. Apparently, of like parents are not showing up because I feel like they haven't had the opportunity to show up for themselves. Right, right, and that's that's heavy, and I've noticed that as well. It's um, so I, I guess my thing is this: where do we where do we start? Because you're getting momentum out there. Obviously, yeah. you know it, it's it's going to be a greater impact as time continues, but yeah. Where, where did you start with that to even get those, like you said, it's four or six, it might be 10, yeah. one day, 20. It's like, yeah. how'd you even start to get that? Um, I, you know, when you, I, for me, it helps collaborating with the schools um, and just, they typically have a following already of parents that might be into it. And so you'll have some, they're like, oh, this sounds interesting. Let me show up. Um, and so I, I will, let, I'll, I'll do this. I will credit the the schools that I work with to get the parents to my initial session. And then maybe I'll not, maybe I will take credit for just keeping them and, and having that record. I have some parents who have gone through like groups and workshops with me, like multiple times. Like you've seen uh-huh. this, you've heard this content already. And they're like, no, like we still want to be a part of it. We still want more. And, and so I'll speak to how I'm able to get that, you know, that retention rate. Right. So for me, I know if you follow my page, DJ Inspires Parenting, it would seem like I tend to smack parents across the face with reality. I think that's just me on social media. But the reality is when I actually work with parents, um, for me, I, I'm just down to earth and I'm real. And I matter of fact, with some of the things that I want them to, to understand, but at the end of the day, it's just, I just have a heart for helping parents get it, helping parents better understand their children, helping parents like be in a position to say, okay, I thought this was a challenging thing before, but you've helped me shift my mindset to help me understand what this really is. And 
honestly, I think when parents are having struggles or challenges, a lot of it is because they haven't done the work on their own inner child. And so like, mm, there we I, go. I, I will, there we go. so for, when we think of, when we think of parenting, I, I have the way that I set my parenting up a lot of the, let's say a school advertises a parenting course. And so a parent might be like, okay, great. They're going to help me control my kid. Like that's typically what I think parents think about when they think about a parenting class. And so I tell them like, okay, Hey, welcome to the class or group. I don't like to call it a class. That's the other thing. Like I make it participatory. So like, even though I'm the person running this group, you guys are parents, you're experts in some form or fashion. And I want to hear from you and I want to hear your insight. And I want to hear how you are able to do certain things with their kid that I didn't even talk about. Like, and so that's the, they, they feel like, oh, I'm not here to just get, I can also give in a part of right. this group. And so I just make it more like, hey, I'm, <laughs> I make it so known in the first session, like, this is not a class, not a class. You, you, you guys are teaching me just as much as, sorry, just as much as I'm teaching you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a collaborative effort. And it, it's, I'll explain, we, we had a group recently and my, um, one of the parents, you know, she tough <laughs> and, and strict <laughs> and, and type A. And so um, I, I knew it wasn't going to be enough for me to share and give insight. But I really was able to pass the baton or ask some parents like, hey, you dealt with this situation. You want to speak on it a little bit? And and so I let, you know, the other parents just kind of speak on it, even though they didn't come into it to to be an expert or or share their experiences. But I just encourage that and, I, you know, uplift them and just you know, give them that voice that maybe they don't even have in their work situation, or maybe they don't even have mm. in their home. You know, I work with a lot of moms and I don't have too many dads that come to my groups. And so all these different factors are just giving them a voice, letting them feel heard, letting them feel seen. Hey, I say, look, man, parenting is hard. I get it. Like I just validate where they are and they just keep coming back. And and it's, it's one of those things, you know, the saying, like it's, it's how you made them feel. And I just make them feel valued. I make them feel important. I make them feel like you have the most important job in the world. So let's do it the best way that we can. So I Mm. I think that's kind of the mantra that I've gone into it. And thankfully it's helped me a lot, you know, with the parents that I get to serve. Nice. Nice. Was there ever, like, as I'm listening, um, you know, and yourself as a parent, Mm-hmm. Was there ever, I guess, like doubt crept in? Because like you said, you had your background of going through foster systems and things yeah. like that. And yeah. I truly believe that it's hard for us to to teach what we haven't had exemplified yeah, for us. That's good. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But yeah. you're coming in and you're really adding value to these parents. So it sounds like, in a sense, it almost helped you going through all of that different stuff. Yeah. Like it kind of uh, gave you an, like an advantage almost. Yeah. No, I, I that's it. You, and I, in the beginning, especially when I didn't, you know, I, I went into working with parents before I had my son and, you know, I have at least one parent, like, you don't have no kids, you don't understand, you know, but I, like for me, I work with students, teenagers, you know, right. seeing it from a different perspective, not like a jaded lens that we tend to have as parents. And then the other aspect of, I, based off my childhood, I can pretty much tell you what doesn't work. <laughs> I can pretty much right, tell you right. what's not good. And so when I had those two, I kind of combined. And then when I had my son, it just kind of amplified of like, oh, I see some things that maybe they were trying to mention or help me, you know, to understand. And that 
when my son was born is when I realized, oh, I need therapy. I need to really mm. work on some of that inner child and some of those different things that are coming up for me, even to this day, even having gone wow. through a couple of years of therapy. And so um, I, those are the ways that in the beginning I was like, okay, I could do this. I'm pep talking myself, using that to my advantage. And now after working with all these parents, all these years, being a dad now, like, I've like leveled up in how I can help parents now because of those different experiences. Right. Do you feel like it's made you a, a better parent, like a better father, like it, going through those experiences and having those conversations with different parents and also being with the students? Do you feel like there's some things you like pulled out of it that's, that you're able to implement now to ensure that your son has, you know, a father there that that truly loves him and that is providing him with real value? Yeah, I... Ba- yeah, <laughs> like I'm thinking, I get so excited thinking about it. But like, yeah, with the students, um, y- you see what a lot of them don't receive at home, and it it leads to some of the behaviors that they tend to get in trouble for at school. Um, right. And you see on the other end what it looks like when a parent is wholly involved and in loving their kid, not conditionally, right? Because you know we have a conversation like that a lot with parents is like we just have to be careful that we're not loving our kid conditionally, right? Like I'm only going to love you when you do everything you're supposed to do. I'm only going to love you when you have good grades. I'm only going to love you when you listen to everything that I have to say. And it's just like, no, I need you to love me no matter what. (laughs) Love me (laughs) when I use my son example, like love me when I poop in my pants on accident. Love me (laughs) when I yell and scream at at Target when you said I couldn't have a toy. Like love me in those situations. Don't just love me when I'm doing good. Um, And the other part of why I um, love working with parents is for, for whatever reason, they have a hard time like seeing what their actions now, how it will impact their kids in the future. And mm. because of you know my childhood, I'm, I'm able to be like, yo, I'm going to tell you what it looks like when you're yelling at your kid all the time and pointing their flaws out all the time. They become a, an adult who has imposter syndrome and feel like they never deserve anything that they worked for. Or they feel like the work that they put in is never good enough because they're always being nitpicked or they're always, or at least in their childhood, they were always being nitpicked and said, oh, this is enough or always pointing out, you know, your kid's flaws. Like we don't take a look at how our actions now impact our kid in the future. And so that part has Mm, really helped me with my son because I'm like, I need to be super intentional. Even when I had those moments where I want to get frustrated or I want to yell at him or whatever it might be, I have to remind myself, how is this going to impact my man in five to 10 years? How is this going to impact him when he become an adult? And people will be like, oh, he's four. He's resilient. Like, yeah, kids are resilient. But that doesn't mean we as an adults, as adults need to be jerks about it. Right, (laughs) right. That don't mean we as adults have to take advantage of that, right? Um, yeah, we, we want to preserve our kid as much as possible in terms of that innocent, that childlike. Like, um, I, I say this a lot, you know, like I feel like kids are the closest to their purest selves than we ever will be as adults. And mm. life experiences, all these things shift us away from that purity, <laughs> and we become people that you know are like reserved or all these different aspects that I think about that shifts us away from what used to be childlike for us. And so so how can we preserve our kid and preserve that innocence? And I saw a post today from my girl, uh, Leslie uh, from Latinx Parenting, where she was just talking about like, 
how that curiosity, how our kids have an intuition. Some adults in their life, like they feel uncomfortable for a reason. <laughs> and we force our kids to say, make sure you say hello, make sure you speak to, you know, all the adults that speak to you. And it's like, this is how we breathe certain things that certain issues that we have in our society. We just have to be able to help our kids hone that curiosity, hone their intuition. And the, the reality is, Nate, especially in the black and brown communities, what I'm seeing is we just not, we have a lot of adults who haven't had experience in any of that. And so it's been hard to offer that to our kids. Yeah, no, that's the truth. That's the truth yeah. because they haven't been ex exposed to it, man. But it takes what I hear the underlying like message of what you're saying is like being intentional. Yeah. Like literally being intentional about everything you're doing, especially yep. as it pertains to yourself and your child. You know, like yeah. you said, you say these certain things. Oh, he's four. He's five. He doesn't. But it's like the reality is I know my trauma stemmed from like childhood stuff. Yep. Same. And they they rose up as an adult. And I was like, whoa, what is this? You never, <laughs> you, you don't realize you never addressed that thing that happened when you were yeah. seven years old. You're just like, wait a minute. And yeah. next thing you know, you're in therapy. Yeah. But it's like we can put preventative measures in now. Yeah. By really pouring into them with the right things. And I love what you said about kids are the closest to, you know, like our pure selves. I heard once, and I hope I don't butcher the quote, but it's like life is about becoming less of, you know, the world and like mm -hmm. more of who you are. So it's like we're as, as we grow and we 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 advance in age, it's like we're shedding. Yeah. Shedding and we're coming more of our pure selves if we're intentional about yeah. that. But I love how how kids are at that purest level and I also heard once that um, kids are great listeners, but they're poor interpreters. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, for me, I personally remember things that happen, you know, with my parents and with people within my community. I can personally remember things that that traumatized me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But at the time, I didn't have the language to express how I was feeling. I didn't have an open door policy. I didn't feel comfortable yeah. talking about it. Like that wasn't the norm mm -hmm. in my community, just like it isn't and many other black and brown communities, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where we don't know how to articulate and communicate. And yeah. um, I feel like that's something that I really want to focus on, on, on helping us, you know, helping kids, helping teenagers to really be able to articulate themselves. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you can't express yourself, it comes out in violence and acting out. Yeah. Because this has to come out of me, but I don't know how to share it with you. So, yeah. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start flipping stuff in the classroom. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But it's like, if I can teach you how to use your words, you know, things can change. But that's that's a whole process, because like you said, we got to work with the parents, yeah. educators, students. And um, it just <laughs> takes more people like 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 yourself, myself and really stepping up yeah. and in these spaces. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit. Um, so this is powerful. I can talk to you about this stuff all day because I actually <laughs> I actually just did a parenting. It was a parenting educators and student event. Mm -hmm. um, so the stuff you're talking about is so true. Um, but we're going to transition real quick. I just got a question for you. Okay, what's your question? <laughs> what do you mean we can go outside and we can come back inside? I, I, I think that's a good plan. <laughs> that's a solid plan. Thank you. That's we're almost plan. done. <laughs> and I love it too. I love it too because he practiced what he preached. Now, if that had been me back in the day with my dad, I was bruh, just, I was bruh, just thinking of my school, old school parenting was so different. Like my, I can picture my mom and my dad now, like get in the get moving. I'm just like, yo, why you got to wild out on me? Like yeah. he asked the innocent question, like, hey, you yeah. know, 
He didn't say nothing yeah. wrong. He didn't say nothing disrespectful. But it's like nope. that was the way it was, man. And we we have to change that. And um, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of want to jump into that. And I'm jumping around yeah. this episode. Um, but I want to really jump into that because you you I asked for your quote earlier and it was change your narrative. And yeah, I want to jump right into that. I usually save it for the end of the, the episode, but I think this is important because yeah. you literally just gave us an example of what that's like within like 10 seconds right there, just talking yeah. to you know your son. And that's just something that man is so true. It can heal and, and save so many of us from the traumas that we went through. Because, like I said, if that was back in the day, if that was me. <laughs> oh man, it flipped on me. For me asking yeah. a question, like, hey, yeah. I want to be able to interrupt it's like, yo, did it did it warrant all of that? Like for, for what reason? So as we're on this topic of change yeah. and narrative, I want you to go ahead and explain to the audience, the listeners, and if you're watching this on YouTube, shout out to you. Um, what does change your narrative mean? Like, why why'd you share that quote with me? Yeah, so got the shirt on right now. So change your narrative is you are the creator of your story. So when I say change your narrative, when I share that, when I speak to students, it's empowering you to recognize that you have the power to change your story, your story, Mm. your narrative. Um, And so if we use the example of my son, um, you know, who's come and interrupted us a couple of times, I I know adults aren't there, but like, ah, that's preposterous. He shouldn't interrupt you. And it's like, yeah, but, I also should have put things into place to make sure that I wouldn't put him in position to interrupt me. Right. Like, so I think what we recognize as parenting, like, I think when we think of the old school way, I always say old school parents parented that fit them, that made them comfortable, that made them feel good about themselves as parents. The reality is to parent in a way that we need to, to get our kids to not have to heal from their childhood, not feel like they're controlled, be able to be self-sufficient, be able, more importantly, to advocate for themselves and advocate mm. against wrongs. I have to operate and understand that with child development, with my son, like he's four, he's not going to be able to <laughs> s- sit down and be quiet for 30 minutes or whatever it might be, how long we've been doing this podcast. So I, un- I understand, like, I'm not going to get mad at him for something that's developmentally real- appropriate. And what you said right. earlier, a lot of times, because old school parenting, I believe, was to fit the parent and make the parent, be- you know, feel good about themselves. Like, right. they did a lot. They got mad at us, uh, you know, a lot of the times for developmentally appropriate things, playing mm. too loudly, you know not having the, you know, the motor skills to clean up your toys in the way that they wanted them to be cleaned. I, I just think of all these different things that we used to get in trouble for. And it's just like, I'll, at the end of the day, I was just being a kid. And you right. were punishing me essentially for being punishing a kid. Punishing me for being a kid. Wow. <laughs> and so when, when my son comes and asks me a simple question, not even rude about it, he's just, mm. we have empowered him to like, yo, like I did encourage, I did have a conversation like, hey, I'm going to do this. If you could be quiet, I really would appreciate it. But I also understand in the back of my mind, he's not going to be quiet forever. He's not going to sit down forever because he's a kid. And that right. is a, a motor control, different things that he's going to grow and learn over the years. But like right now, I, I, me changing my narrative is understanding that I got to learn certain things about my child and the way that they work. So I'm not being upset about something that I really shouldn't be upset about as a parent. Right, right. And what you're not doing is silencing his voice. 
Yeah. Because that's happened to a lot of us growing mm-hmm. up where we our voice was silenced. Yep. So as we became older, teenagers, young adults, we didn't feel like we had a voice because it was yep. always silence. We couldn't get a word out. We couldn't yep. get an explanation. It was because I said so. Exactly. You know what I mean, it was just like, well, that, that don't really make sense. It's like, well, because exactly. I said so. And just like, what? what? But that, yeah. that's how it was, man. And that, yeah. that's something when I think of changing narrative, that's something that definitely has to change. So um, yeah. before we close out, I definitely want people to get in touch with you, bro. How can they? Um, link up with you how can they touch with you on social um, go ahead and uh, share those things with us yeah um, Instagram I have my personal page DJ inspires all as well as uh, the parenting page that I run DJ inspires parenting um, I also have a Facebook page which has been very popular lately up to about right. 4,300 followers now wow. uh, so yeah crazy blew up yeah DJ That's inspires uh, purposeful parenting uh, Facebook page and on the parenting pages, which I've been more active on. Um, I just been, um, you know, just sharing different, my thoughts on parenting. Right. And as they said, like for me, questioning the things that we do in parenting that just don't make no sense. <laughs> right. Mm. And the different things like stifling our child's voice, you know, um, one of the things that I questioned recently was um, we used to tell kids like um, you should only speak when spoken to, or, you know, right, don't don't right. come into, you know, don't get yeah. into grown folks conversation. But in the same mm. time, we'll get upset at a kid who didn't come in and speak like what? Like, come on. I'm conf- I don't know what to do. <laughs> what? Make it make what sense. You- yeah, I start talking like Tyrese. Like, what more do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm at, but we're asking questions. And I think I think the older generation gets frustrated at us. New generation folks is maybe because we have the ability to to ask the questions that they didn't have to. And I don't mm. think it has to be like a battle between the new and the old. I don't think it right, has to right, be like, right. like every generation, I believe, is tasked to do it better than a generation before. So like, in, in all honesty, get, take your flowers because y'all laid the groundwork for us to do it better than how y'all did it. And I love that. You should not be mad at us for seeking that. better ways to raise up our kids. I think if you're continually getting upset about how the newer generation parents are allowing their kid to say no and have a voice and and do it for the most part in a healthy way, um, that that's inner child work that you need to do because your inner right. child is not happy with seeing kids get validated that you didn't receive in your childhood. But, you know, that's a whole nother episode, Nate. <laughs> mm, no, nah, that, that's I'm definitely bringing you back because that's something I, I want to hit on. Yeah, and, um, that, that ties into a project that I'm working on that I really want. We're going to talk about that. But um, oh, yo, make sure. sure that y'all are following him on all of these pages. Oh, also, make sure that y'all visit my brother's website, yes, man, especially if you're looking to bring him in for engagements. He's incredible um, and just doing amazing work. Like I said, this is just a snippet into the insight of what he's doing and the wisdom. Um, but just some of the things he shared on here, man, have truly blessed me. And that's really how we we change things around. So um, yeah. my my final question uh, before we close out, and it's very similar to what you have with change, um, you know, change your narrative is, you know, yeah. what does change what we normalize mean to you? Um, since we talked parenting today, I, you know, it's, I might as well go down that road. And that <laughs> is um, we've normalized raising obedient, listen to everything that I say, do everything that I say kids um, Mm. without recognizing the repercussions of how that's going to impact them as they become adults. Um, I told you earlier that I'm really big on 
helping us acknowledge and see how our actions impact us as adults. Well, if you grew up telling your kid to only speak when spoken to, they might Mm -hmm. become a high school student who's afraid to even ask their teachers when they're struggling with the class. They're afraid to, if they go to college, go to their professor's office hours because they've been beat to death as their child in terms of words wise that you should only speak to an adult when spoken to. So it doesn't empower me to go speak to an adult on my own. Or Mm. if you've consistently controlled your child and make, you know, forced them to be obedient through punishment or whatever it might be, you might have an adult who struggles to, um, you know, make decisions for themselves and have, and maybe have a hard time saying no, and ultimately becomes a people pleaser. Who knows? Um, if you use punishment as a, as a thing, if you normalize like, well, we need to hit kids and we need to discipline them mm-hmm. in that way and they need to learn, right? If you normalize that, well, you might have an adult who wanted to do the complete opposite of that and just completely became a person who doesn't like conflict and is super uncomfortable with it and now has issues trying to communicate you know, in his relationship when he doesn't have things that are working for him in his relationship. I'm being Mm. transparent and open because all those things happened in my childhood and all these things I'm working through as an adult um, at 33 in two weeks. Like this is what we talk about when we normalize these things that ultimately impact us and hinder us in our adulthood. Um, And Mm. so changing what we normalize (laughs) is changing the different things that you as an adult need to be aware of and understand like, why isn't my life quite where I want it to be relationship wise, Mm. work wise, career wise, whatever it might be, ask yourself those tough questions. And then if you just so happen to be a parent, figure out, okay, what is it that I didn't get as a child? What feelings or different things that I not get validated as a child and how can I put myself in position as a parent to be able to do that for my child? Mm. Wow. Look, if you're listening to this right you now, I, me I, up, man. yeah, no, nah, no, nah, seriously, bro, I highly suggest because I just had this conversation with my boy okay. yesterday. I highly suggest if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, that you go back, rewatch this, re-listen, grab a notebook, and take some notes because this right here is how generational curses are broken. Absolutely, um, by the things that he's sharing, man, and it's extremely powerful and just so valid. And I'm blessed because. I have the opportunity to learn all of this from you and just other people who are around me who have children who are doing incredible things before I ever have a child, you know, so I get married in a week and then, you know, we plan on having children sometime in the next year or two. I don't know, but it's like, I'm blessed to be around individuals who are doing it. What I believe is right. And I get to gather all of this to, to nurture and, and really pour into a love my child. So I'm extremely grateful, man. Uh, for that and for just having you on, bro. Like I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful that we did this. Um, and before we close out, you know, tell us what's next uh, for DJ Johnson. What you got going on, bro? What can we support? Yes, yeah, man. I um, was had the craziest couple of days. I know I texted you about this, but um, uh, got some speaking engagements coming up, so I'm working on that. But one very important, awesome thing opportunity that I got was. I'm actually going to be a part of a TEDx event. Um, hey, so I did a TEDx talk <laughs> on parenting by, by, uh, out of all things. So um, look out for that announcement on my social medias if you follow it. So you can, uh, you know, look at or listen to that conversation and, and check it out. That's fire, bro. Yeah. 
That's huge, man. That's huge. I'm excited yeah. for you, bro. I'm, I'm super excited for you, bro. Super. I get to do mine. Sure. I'm doing mine next year, man. On emotional fluency, so I'm, I'm hey, super excited go. about that as well, bro. But yeah. look, everybody, look. I want to thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Change Will Be Normalized podcast. Um, this episode has been extremely powerful. Um, my man DJ came through and blessed us, bro. We are <laughs> extremely grateful, man. Um, his son came you, through, blessed us for a perfect, just <laughs> on the spot teaching moment, bro. He knew yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. He's wise, man. So we're just extremely grateful over here, man. And we look forward to having you back. Um, you know, let us know uh, in the comments, everybody, if you want to have DJ back. I definitely want to have him back because there's another conversation that I really want to have with him. So <laughs> be on for the sure. lookout for that. Um, if it's not this season, next season, but I definitely want to get my man back. He's doing incredible work on the West Coast. I'm excited, bro. We have to collaborate on some stuff. Man, I can't do the work that you know with parents, man. You're you're literally, you know, changing so many lives, man. Yes, sir. By doing that work. It's super, super important. And I don't think we recognize individuals who are doing that type of work enough. So I just want to be the one, you know, to give you your flowers and just, you know, tell you I appreciate you, bro. Um, And I love you and the work that you're doing, man. Love you too, brother, man. I, you know, I'm a fan of you and I appreciate all that you do. You know, I cannot wait to either book my flight out to the East Coast or, or whatever right, right. we get a moment to connect. Um, yeah, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be like, yo, cousin, I ain't seen you in a minute. Right, That's right. It's gonna be. <laughs> right, right. I'm looking forward to that, man. I, yes, sir. I think we may come out there too because we're booking up um, after the wedding where we're booking all of our trips for next year. So we're planning oh, a West sure. Coast trip for sure. Oh, great. So for I'm sure. definitely keep you in the loop for that, man. Oh, yeah. But I'm excited, Let man. I appreciate you, bro. Um, until for next sure. time, y'all, this is the Change What We Normalize podcast. I love y'all. I see y'all soon. Oh, 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 oh,